Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Calling Tau City, turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message, it was a little harsh, you know. It's still a little hard for me to hear, please take it slow. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders network. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm hooning, waiting to be found. And I'm building rockets. I'm pointing them to the moon. This is the Starship Sova. Everybody, welcome. Hello and welcome to show 688. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. We have original story for Starship Sofa today. Yes, it is by Chris R. Young. I'll give you a little heads up about Chris. Join Chris on a haphazard journey through his own head as he encounters idiot villains, talking animal detectives, quirky multi-dimensional office staff, time-travelling thugs bent on plagiarism and stories that may or may not be mean something. He has written a few short stories, novellas and novels over the years, including A Talk with Depp, Death, Paperclips, New Writers from Strathclyde, 1992, the novel Tokyo Mayors, self-published, that's a great title, that, self-published in 2003, and his Jake Jones novellas, The Old Mice Killer, 2017, The Coffee Cup Killer, 2020. He has also written a few film scripts, including Tough Gig, 2006, Ripped, 2012, and Remote Crime Scene, 2020. He's currently working on Jake Jones' next adventure, The Luminari, and an amusing script, what was called What the Maid Sword, spelt S-A-W-E-D. Follow him at chrisyoungauthor.blogspot.com. So this story is narrated. Well, we're going back. Old boy, we're going back a few years now. Mike Boris, yes. Mike, oh man, I well, I'll read it because it's in there, the date when Mike came, and it was a long time ago. Mike is a freelance e-learning narrator from Indianapolis, Indiana, who credits the Starship Sofa for kicking off his reasonably 
reasonably successful side hustle in voice work. His first recording from someone other than his wife was Adam Troy Castro's, what a story as well it was, of Sweet Slow Dance in the Wake of Temporary Dogs for Oral Delights, number 87, way back in June 2009. <gasps> Man, Mike, I bet there's a few grey hairs there now, lad. <laughs> Before he got himself a decent microphone, he's got a website, mikeborrisaudio.com. So pop over there and say hi, and then hire him. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present. Hellscraper by Chris R. Young Read to you by Mike Boris Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So let me get this straight, I said. You want me to go in there, shoot up the place, fire twice into Flynn's head, three times into his chest, and obtain the device. I turned from the floor-to-ceiling window with the sprawling cityscape visible through the wisps of clouds at my feet. I'd never been this high up before, and met Grant's gray, dead eyes. That basically it? He flicked ash from his cigar and regarded me with that you resemble something I stepped on, look. They say he does it with everyone, but it was beginning to get on my nerves. That's the gist of it, he sighed. You catch on fast. Sure you're not a doctor, a lawyer, something like that? I could pop you right now, you sarcastic piece of shit. I forced a smile. Not at all. I'm into economics. Who executes people for cash in his free time? Like I said, economics. Like I said, economics. And sometimes for free. I fingered the hidden micro-pistol strapped to my leg within the fake pocket of my trousers. He eyed me again. He was a cool one, this guy. Chilled and slippery. And dangerous. I searched for a suitable metaphor. Black ice. Yeah, black ice. I sat down in the chair opposite and regarded him across the huge expanse of Oakwood desk. Half a mil is a lot, 
he grunted. I breathed cigarette smoke out my nose. That's true, Mr. Grant, but regrettably it's the going rate. I'd love to cut you a deal, but I'm all out of charity. I got bills, I got rent, I got a drug habit. You understand. I stubbed out my smoke in the ashtray. Who didn't? He nodded sagely. I grimaced to myself and adjusted my grip on the micro-pistol. I wondered how much cash the man actually had on him right at that moment. All right, you're hired. I nodded once. Half now, half later. But, he raised his eyebrows, don't get any misgivings about handing over the device. I got eyes all over this state. You'd have to run far and fast. I processed that. And make sure Flynn is dead, Grant went on. He ain't easy to kill, and if he's up and around three weeks after your little visit, he obliterated the cigar in the ashtray in what I assumed was a symbolic stubbing. You ever been on the receiving end of a hit, Sandman? He said. Just once. What happened? I shrugged. I'm still here, ain't I? He regarded me intently, but I held his gaze. Tomorrow night, he said. We know he's going to be in the office between five and eight because he's got a meeting with the ARC Corps execs. Have I to kill them, too? That'll cost extra. I did some swift mental arithmetic. How many? Four. Do what you like with them. I don't care. It's Flynn and the device I want. Nodding, I said. Uh, by the way, what exactly is this device? His face darkened. I didn't hear you say that, Mr. Sandman. And slowly, he eased a pistol from his right thigh and laid it on the desk. I took a shot of DS-17 twenty minutes before zero hour. I was juiced up and ready. The meeting had already started when I crunched up the outside of the office block on my bi-wheel vertical ascension vehicle, known as a rock bike on the dark web, the surface of its tires drilling and gripping into concrete, heaving me up. Leaning against the high seat back, my air filter mask beeped once every ten seconds, alerting me to every radioactive particle captured. Six per minute was not bad at this altitude, and if I was in and out fast, the health damage, for me at least, would be minimal. Behind me, the cityscape stretched away like an ocean floor of pinnacles and towers, lights flickering through indigo dust clouds kicked up from the nearby desert. If enough of the hooks on my wheels failed, I'd drop backwards like a stone, sixty stories to my death. But I had no reason to distrust them. Plus, I always had my base chute. I arrived at the boardroom's panoramic window, anchored the bike, pulled out a plasma gun, and deatomized the glass. Shouts, screams, wind, dust, and papers filled the air. Pistols appeared from nowhere. Shots were fired in my direction, and my chest armor stopped a few before I was able to leap inside and find cover. I rolled, knelt, aimed, fired. Two targets down. Another shot to the chest. I leapt behind a desk and then out the other side as a grenade was thrown in, blowing the table to splinters. Shooting and running, another down. I felt a hit take off the top of my helmet and hoped the crown of my skull was still intact. Pulling out my second gun, I blasted in separate directions at the two remaining targets, 100 degrees apart. 
One ducked behind a water cooler, the other took a blast in the face, leaving a hole I could see Art through. Apart from the crackle of fire and falling plaster, silence. I stalked towards the water cooler. The last was Flynn. I was sure of it. Give it up, Flynn, I shouted. Grant just wants your tech. No answer. Give me it, and I'll let you live. I reached the water cooler, leapt to the side, rolled, and fired. The water cooler exploded, and a circular wave crashed under the carpet. No one there. I slowly eased up to scan the room. Rookie error. Suddenly a searing pain on my right hand. I looked down to find it, and its gun had disappeared. And beyond, Flynn holding an energy pen. You think I'm going to give that double-crossing snake my invention? He mocked. You gotta be kidding. Dropping to the floor, I brought up my left hand to fire. His shot went over my head. My blast caught him in the side of the throat, sending a spurt of blood out to sizzle on the burning desk. I fired again, this time right on the mark. His head snapped back. He shot into the ceiling, leaving a razor ball-sized hole and dropping to the floor, motionless. Shivers rolled through me as I looked down at the stump of my right arm. At least his energy pen had cauterized it. I didn't feel much pain, still flying on the drug, but God would I. Rising shakily to my feet, I approached the inert form of Flynn. It was difficult to hold the gun steady against the onset of shock. But I fired again into his head, then three more times into his chest, as per contract. There wasn't much left of him to ID. And near his outstretched hand, the tech. A small machine resembling a vid-screen remote in both size, shape, and weight. A heeny laser shone from the end. Adrenaline and juice still coursing through my veins, and one hand vaporized. I wasn't about to deliver the thing to Grant without at least punching a few buttons. Everything went dark for an instant, then bright red, and then things jumped back to normal. Except I was in a different part of the room, where the red Heaney laser had been pointing. Hmm, I thought, a personnel shifter. Explained how Finn had gotten out from behind the water cooler. Funny the nifty gadgets people come up with nowadays, I thought before heading again for the window and, still clinging to the outside, my rock bike. Securing my stump to the handlebar with a strap, tying it off with my good hand and teeth, I hit the safety harness switch to secure me against the seat back, swung a tight circle up and around the destroyed window, and set off groundward again. The only trouble being, I reflected, shakily injecting myself with a double shot of DS-17 back at my pad, Grant only paid me half what he owed, the balance due on receipt of the hardware. Robotic prosthetics didn't come cheap. Plus, there were three more stiffs to think about, extra heat from the authorities. I doubted Grant would be sympathetic. After smearing my stump with salve and dressing it as best I could, I lay back on my leather recliner watching the vid screens that passed for windows in my office. Images of the surface fifty levels above showed heavily armed cops clamping down on protesters, looters demolishing bars, and politicians advertising for a better world. The rich lived the high life, literally, while the poor scuttled around at ground level eking out what existence they could. Then there was us, the undergrounders. I rotated the device, 
examining the buttons and getting a feel for how it worked. With a beep, the 3D image of my daughter flickered into existence on the hollow pad at my elbow. Hi, Snookums, I said with a grin. What you doing up? Daddy, when you coming home? Soon, darling. I just gotta tie up a few loose ends here, and I'll be back to tuck you in. But you better be asleep. I can't. I'm scared. What of? You're safe, a hundred levels down with Mum. Nothing can hurt you. Not for me, for you. I cranked my smile up a few watts. Aw, oh, babes, that's so nice of you, really. But Daddy's fine. I just feel something bad's gonna happen. Can't you come home? Merligo, I said, putting on my sincere dad voice. We talked about this. Daddy has to work to pay rent. No job, no money, no money, no space. No space, nowhere to keep all your hundreds of teddies. She almost smiled. I'll be fine, I said. Really? You promise? Cross my heart. Hope to die? I cleared my throat. You get your daily dose of sunlight today? Yeah, just switched off the lamp. Just now? Probably why you can't sleep. Hmm. Now off you go to bed, or the Sandman will get you. Okay. Good girl. Night-night. Love you, Daddy. You too, sweetheart. The image of my little girl in her nightie clutching her stuffed toy evaporated. I fought to temper the sense of dread now opening up in my chest. It didn't pay to heed omens in this business, nor ignore them. I picked up a small crosshead screwdriver and carefully, clumsily, one-handedly, began to remove Flynn's device from its casing. Some workmen were affixing a snow tiger's head to the wall when I walked in and approached Grant's desk. I stayed standing and waited for the big man to look up from what he was doing. Good evening, Mr. Sandman. I trust everything went according to plan. Not exactly. I held up my stump. Oh, dear, that does appear painful. It is. You weren't up front with me, Mr. Grant. If you'd given me more intel about the device, I would have been better prepared. You didn't tell me Flynn could teleport around his boardroom like a goddamn leprechaun. The information was need to know. I did. It was most unfortunate that a slip in your professionalism led to this unforeseeable incident. I trust you are insured? Yeah, this is my insurance. I held up the device. Grant grinned, like a shark being slid open. I also had to ice three hostels in order to fulfill your contract, which, as agreed, will bump up the price to, including compensation for the lost hand, I paused for effect. A million. Grant studied me. That's rather extortionate. I think it's quite reasonable, considering. He held out his hand. Give me the device. Not yet. First, I need certain assurances. He looked over my shoulder at his two bodyguards. I could feel them closing in. The hairs on my neck prickled up. If I'd had another hand, I would have taken out a pistol and covered them. But I didn't. Careful, Mr. Grant, I said. Perhaps it's you who should be careful, his voice rumbled. 
You're in no position to demand assurances. I don't even know if the hardware is functioning. Oh, it functions. Then if you'd be so good to pass it over to my colleague to test it. I'd rather you first deposit the remaining 750k in my account. He sighed. I know all about you, Mr. Sandman. Or should I say, Reynolds. A gaping pit yawned open in my stomach. I also know, for example, that you reside with your family at your home ground space of... Uh, he glanced at a piece of paper. 362 Moonlit Depths, Sublevel 103. Shaft 9? He glanced at one of his heavies. Where is that, a block or two from here as the crow flies? Maybe a couple of miles straight down? Yes, boss. His dead eyes lit on me. Different world, really. What's it like to live like moles, rats? Keeping my breathing regular had abruptly become a challenge. I forced myself to remain calm, my mouth dried leather. Don't worry. One of my armed operatives is reading a bedtime story to your daughter as we speak. Merligo, I believe her name is. They think you sent Joe to look after them until you get home. All it would take is a call from me, and he will do all sorts of unimaginably nasty things to your family. He inspected me for any reaction. Now give me the tech. With a shrug, I let out the breath I'd been holding and handed over the device. I felt somehow calmer now the decision had been made. Grant gave it a cursory once-over before passing it to said nearby bodyguard, who aimed it over at the corner of the room and pressed a button. The vid screen came on. With a click and a swish, the fusion blaster slid out from under my sleeve into my remaining hand. I aimed the Heaney laser right at Grant's forehead. Sayonara, fuckface, I said, and pulled the trigger. His head exploded like a bowl of punch. I aimed the sight in the corner of the room, pressed the thumb switch, and, with a blur of pink and the briefest sensation of being turned inside out, teleported to the new location. Grant's bodyguards were still looking around for me, and I popped one in the chest, beamed myself to the opposite corner, and got the other in the back. Fish in a barrel. I blew wisps of dry ice from the tip of the blaster, as somewhere an alarm sounded. Behind me, the double doors burst open. I aimed the sight beyond the rocket-proof glass window and thumbed the device, just as energy pulses splintered wood and smashed vases and disintegrated awards on Grant's desk, catapulting myself out into nothingness. Wind and dust whipped my clothes, and tears streamed from my eyes as I plummeted earthwards. Shards of broken glass rained after me. The icy cold whisked my breath away. Even with my protective insulated coveralls, it was like plunging through ice into a frozen lake. No rock bike stood waiting. It'd have to be the old-fashioned way down. I spread out and my wing flaps caught air. Adopting standard free-fall position, I one-handedly lowered my goggles and hoisted my oxygen mask up over my mouth and nose, angled southwest, rapidly approaching spread-eagle terminal velocity. My right wrist, stump, band, confirmed air pressure, speed, and an altitude of 1.2 miles. Attaching Flynn's device to the top of my fusion blaster had worked pretty well, but I had to locate the entrance to my home shaft fast. 
I plunged through a layer of nimbostratus. After five seconds and thirty stories, something tugged at my coveralls. I rolled over on my back and trained my sight on three sleek black attack drones with Grant's Square G logo on each wing. I squeezed off half a dozen shots, exploding the first in a shower of sparks, flame, and smoke, and winging a second which spun off to collide with a nearby air taxi, too far above its designated height band. The third accelerated through the smoke and debris, unleashing another spray of whining lead or some other cheap element designed to cause pain and damage on impact. I inched the laser sight a few degrees to the left, thumbed the switch, and with a rosy flutter my viewpoint jerked and the drone disappeared. I twisted into a vertical standing position and peered down. There it was, below my feet, scanning around, trying to get a fix on me. Pulse racing, I mashed the buttons on my thigh pad, welcoming the familiar warmth and vibration as electromagnets thrummed into life in the soles of my boots. I made some last-second adjustments with my body and, clunk, landed on top of the drone, which took immediate evasive action. It swung erratically this way and that, but my boots held fast. I attempted to reach the control antenna, but the drone's continued jerking and weaving made it impossible. Suddenly, it inverted and maneuvered close to a tower support cable. I barely had time to crouch to avoid getting my head and arms sliced off. In order to gain control of the drone, I had to deactivate the aerial and incapacitate the AI processor located in the core of the machine. We were flying upside down in the opposite direction I needed to go. I straightened my legs, arms out and flaps extended, catching the air like a sail and flipping us right side up again. Before the drone could barrel roll, I crouched down and snapped off the antenna. I thrust the blaster into its center between my feet and pulled the trigger. The AI core blew out the underside. The drone wavered, its jet stuttered. Come on, come on, I hissed through gritted teeth. The drone coughed smoke and listed to one side. I racked my brains as we rolled over and over, losing altitude. Windows shot by and I was soaked in pungent liquid. In panic, I slapped the button on my thigh pad to deactivate the magnets and opened my wing flaps. Below me, the drone careened into the side of a building, obliterating a window. But to my alarm, the flames rushed up in my direction. I fired the personnel shifter up and away, and with a blip, teleported out of the flame's reach. It puffed out, disappointed. The whole altercation had taken a dozen seconds. I'd estimated I'd gained around seven floors. I was now falling spread-eagle, face groundwards. Far below, vehicles whizzed along their flight paths, leaving red and white streaks of afterglow on my retinas. Interconnecting passageways spanned between buildings, becoming more and more dense, like crisscrossing strands of spiderwebs. I tried to think, but my mind was sluggish. I needed another hit, but my drugs were back at the office. I had to get home. I had to save my daughter. That instinct eclipsed everything else. I swiveled my body southwest and continued my trajectory, whizzing past litter and detritus. Checkered windows flicked by at breakneck pace as I approached the corner of the block. My mask was now bleeping once per second. My wristband, now slowly migrating towards the end of my arm, read 85, 90, 95 miles per hour. Newspapers, drones, and projectiles whizzed past my face. A flashing blue and white orb the size of a melon kept pace with me as an electronic voice crackled, Freeze! You are falling in restricted airspace.
Now at the corner of the block, I pointed the laser northwest, up, and thumbed the button. And blip, left the police orb disoriented a hundred yards below. I tilted my head and wiped my goggles. At last, the blinking lights of Shaft 9 swam into view. Our home. My wristband informed me I was traveling at 99 miles per hour before slipping off and floating away. I angled my head, tucked my arms in behind to minimize drag, and aimed for the hundred-meter square shaft entrance. Searchlights trained on me. A news drone latched. Security flak detonated. I blipped the device once more to correct my position and lose my pursuers. And after a pink flutter was directly over the shaft entrance. I tipped vertical, arms back, legs together. Sirens wailed, lights flashed, flak burst. I ignored them. I took a deep breath, held it, my ears popped, and I shot like a bullet through the shaft entrance into the hell scraper. They clocked me at 130. Unauthorized entry into shaft 9. Repeat. Pressing my earbud, I yelled, David George Reynolds, apartment 362, moonlit depth, sublevel 103 north. Stop and present right palm print for identification. Fuck. The laser net was closing. I wasn't going to make it. I needed more speed. I aimed the device straight down and thumbed the switch. Blip! They told me afterwards the shockwave annihilated windows, sliding doors, and most of their sensing equipment. The sky hung over us like an azure bowl. I was standing on a hill with my wife and daughter, nothing but green and brown fields stretching for miles in every direction. We held hands and behold the glorious panorama. A windmill spun lazily in the distance. Rivers meandered between copses. Cows grazed. Insects buzzed. The scent of wildflowers was intoxicating. Isn't it beautiful, Daddy? Merligo said. It sure is, Snookums. My wife kissed me. Thank you, David. For what? But her words were stolen away by a sudden breeze. What, hun? Her smile faltered. I said, for coming. The wind was really picking up. It was becoming difficult to stand erect. We were leaning into it. Sorry, babes, I couldn't... I, I couldn't hear you because of the... the wind. It was growing in strength. Daddy, Merligo said. Daddy! Merligo was suddenly lifted off her feet. I gripped her little hand and held fast. It's okay, honey. I got you. Merligo was now in the air, screaming her feet dangling up at a 45-degree angle. Then my wife began to lift, too, even as I was being pushed along. I glimpsed the windmill in the distance, spinning crazily. Trees were bending over backwards. Farm roofs were getting torn off. I had my back to the wind. My wife and daughter were shrieking, Help us! I held both their hands. Hands? They stared, pleading into my eyes. But I had nothing to hook my feet onto. Our grips were slipping. And then they were gone, tossed up into the sky like ragdolls. And so was I. I came to, falling backwards. The dream dissolved before my eyes. Above me I could make out the walls of the hellscraper. Lights blinking, zipping drones, glassed-in elevator pods, cargo carriers, entrance tunnels, and their giant painted level numbers flashing past. Level 285 shot by, and it was getting hot. I rolled over and stared straight down. Sweat streaked off me, and I squinted through my steamed-up goggles at something bright 
sluggishly fluid, and orange, splashing and boiling far below. Mechanics battled with molten rock as tiny human specks in heat suits fought to control their machines in the blistering temperatures. Plows forced back glowing liquid rock, only to partially melt, becoming one with the creeping ore. Industrial fans spun ineffectually, screams of steel on steel mixed with those of workers unlucky enough to get too close to the violent, splashing, blistering lava. Water poured from a fissure in the shaft onto the conflict below, sending up steam in great plumes, narrowly avoiding scolding my bare skin. I'd heard about the core workers, but never seen them waging war in an attempt to tame the planet's elements. Hurriedly, I aimed up and thumbed the personnel shifter. Blip, blip, blip. I was in the sub-150s now. The heat abated. Up into the 100s, I had to get up past 103, deploy the chute and drift back down. Blip, blip. My ears popped. Level 98, much cooler. I tugged on the chute release, the base canopy deployed, and I experienced the familiar sensation of deceleration and the relief of being wrenched up. There, 103. Pulling on the left cord, I guided myself toward the northern entrance delivery bay. But in my haste, I'd forgotten my phantom hand couldn't pull the right one, and the chute went into a spin. Releasing the left handle, I made a grab for the right, missed it, caught it, tugged. The chute corrected itself momentarily and went into a spin the other way. Back to the left, back to the right. I wasn't going to make it. I jammed the right handle between my teeth and snatched the left one again to guide myself closer to the entrance tunnel, just before the right one was jerked painfully from my mouth. The floor edge of the loading bay knocked the wind from my lungs, and I held on for dear life as the chute collapsed slowly around me, threatening to pull me off in a gust. With a slap of the release clip, it drifted down into the abyss. My feet scrabbled until I found purchase, climbed up into the bay entrance, removed my mask and goggles, and broke into a run. The repeated beep of reversing vehicles, shouts from security, workers loading crates of GM fish, it was all a blur. A geothermal tram was accelerating away from the stop, and I grabbed the pole and jumped on. Collapsing into a vacant seat, I found myself next to an old woman with one milky cyborg eye and cheekbone who wrinkled her nose and stared at my blaster disapprovingly. I pressed the barrel again to my left thigh and it slid back up and clicked into place under my left sleeve. Then I keyed a button. Call home, I said. A small holograph of our empty hallway flickered into life above my left wrist, and there was a beeping sound. I forced myself to breathe. The beeping continued, but the hallway remained empty. The tram turned a corner and I jumped off the back and ran along our home tunnel. I hung a left, a right, a rat in a maze, just as Grant had described. My chest burning, every muscle in my body crying out with fatigue. The passageways tapered in size and I approached our home space. The final turn was just up ahead. Stale air pumped from the shaft cooled the sweat on my forehead as I sprinted the last few meters and skidded around the corner. Hello, Mr. Reynolds. Daddy! I stopped dead. At the end of the ten-meter passage, beneath flickering fluorescent light, stood Grant's underling behind my daughter, holding her firmly in front with a pulse pistol to her head. My arms were outstretched, 
legs splayed, breathing ragged. It's okay, it's okay, Snookums, I gasped. What took you so long, the creep said. Where's my wife? Without taking his eyes off me, the guy nodded towards our door. Having a lie down. Tears left clean streaks down my daughter's cheeks, and she clutched her teddy to her nighty and shivered. What happened to your hand? Merligo said. My mind raced as I tried to take stock. The fusion blaster is not a refined weapon. It's not made for sharpshooting. It's like a sawn-off shotgun, for close quarters combat only. Plus, it sends out sparks, which, I just remembered, when your clothes are saturated with flammable liquid, is not ideal. I know who you are, Sandman, he said. My daughter stared. I'm walking out of here, and you're forgetting my face, he said, our eyes locked. And I'm taking her with me. The hell you say? No, he isn't, Merligo said, and kicked out at the guy's shins. My daddy's not a monster. Pride blossomed inside. The kid was a fighter. Yes, he is, the creep said. Your daddy's the Sandman. He puts people to sleep. Permanently. Y you My daughter said, and I didn't much care for the look in her eyes. Y you're the Sandman? My heart, now ice, fractured. No. You, you c kill people? Only bad ones, sweetheart, I tried to smile. Or for money, the creep chimed in. I shook my head sadly. Move to the side, he said, waving the pulse pistol at me. He could have just shot me then. I don't know why he didn't. I often go over it in my mind, trying to understand what he was thinking. Was he a father himself? Had he formed a bond with my daughter in that short space of time that it seemed wrong to kill me before her eyes? I didn't know. Or think. The moment his pistol cleared Merligo's temple, my left arm raised and flicked. The blaster slid out. The heaney hovered over the guy's forehead. I thumbed the switch. Blip. Teleported right up to him. Head butted him in the face. There was an audible crack as his nose broke. His head flew back and smacked against the wall, his gun hand under my left armpit. I held him and my daughter tight in a bear hug. There was no need. He was unconscious. Blood flowed. Merligo cried. My head throbbed. After securing the guy's wrists and ankles with plastic ties from my belt, Merligo and I walked inside. It was good to be home. My wife lay sprawled on the bed. It's okay, Daddy, said Merligo, looking up at me. She took a pill. She's been asleep this whole time. I sighed and sat down on the mattress. So did Merligo. Are you really the Sandman? I nodded. I'm sorry, babe. Tears welled up. I was. But I think I'm done now. After a second, she seemed to make a decision and hugged me close. Thanks for saving me. Her hair tickled my nose. I love you, sweetheart. My wife stirred, and she had never before appeared so sleepily beautiful as she regarded us with half-open eyes. Hi, honey she mumbled. How was work? Oh, I grinned at Merligo. I just quit. You did what? My wife sat up, but Merligo smiled back at me, and I thought everything might be all right.
And there you go. What a story. What a story. Chris, thank you so much. Excellent. And Mike. Mike, Mike, Mike. Do you need a chair? Come on. <laughs> Sit down with the old boy here and we'll 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 muse over long goss, long forgotten times, man. Wow, Mike, lovely to have you back on. Honestly, it really does. It means a lot to us. Thank you so much for stepping up to the mic. Mike. Until next week, I'd just like to say a good night from me. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.